Welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values with Daniel Bobinski of True Idaho News and Uncover DC. Brought to you by conservativesof.com. And now, here's Daniel. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values. My name is Daniel Bobinski, and I have to tell you that I am not the voice of conservative values. I am a voice of conservative values. The guests on our show are also voices of conservative values, and that's what we're talking about today is how to conserve the principles that our founders used when they created this country. And that's what I think of when I hear the term conservatism. When someone says I'm a conservative, what does that mean? It means I want to conserve the principles that our founders used when they created this country. And that's what it's all about, really. And as one of those persons who likes to do that, uh, we, uh, my wife and I, we homeschooled our daughter so we could make sure that we taught our daughter those principles because those principles really aren't being taught very well in our government-run schools. Uh, So one of the things we did when she reached the uh, high school age, junior high school age, is we started a speech and debate club for uh, homeschooled Christian teens. We wanted to teach them how to do speech, right, and how to think and how to argue and uh, look at uh, both sides of an issue. That's what debate is. And, And the word argument doesn't mean yelling. It means taking a position and articulating it. So we started the speech and debate club. And well, we went for a year or so, and I went, we went to a conference, my wife and I, and we uh, heard this interesting presentation about a gentleman who uh, realized that uh, he was a, also a speech and debate club coach, and he talked about how he was coaching his students and training them how to deliver material, but they really didn't know why they believed what they believed. And he thought it was essential that we taught our kids worldview. Well, on the way back from that conference, my wife and I were driving and we were talking about that and we decided that's actually pretty spot on. So we decided that we were going to make it mandatory for any student coming into our speech and debate club that they were going to have to go through a worldview class. We were going to use a a curriculum that we uh, sprung um, from Summit Ministries. I had been a Summit Ministry person back in Colorado back in the 80s. And uh, we'll use that as a springboard, create our own curriculum, and the students would have to go through the class and learn what it means to be, to have a Christian worldview, to have a biblical worldview. And we decided we're going to make sure that the, at least one parent has to attend as well. That was a mandatory uh, prerequisite, if you will, because we didn't want the kids to go back to the to their parents and saying, well, they're teaching this and maybe misrepresent or misstate something and have the parents curious as to what we were really talking about. So we wanted the parents there too. Turns out, uh, as the class went on, the parents would invariably come up to us and say, I'm getting more out of this class than my students are. And so, um, you know, my wife has just been, she's a gifted teacher. And uh, we just started to teach this to all sorts of places. Actually, whoever was going to ask for it, we'd teach it. And so that happens to be who I have in my guest as my guest in the studio today. And that is my beautiful bride, Geraldine Bobinski. Geraldine, welcome to the studio. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> so it's good to have you here. And it's kind of odd, but it's kind of cool to have you here because you are a gifted teacher. And it was really kind of odd because I'm the person that has the undergrad, the master's, and all my doctoral work is in education. And yet you're, the, I think, a better teacher than me. But you and I put together this curriculum on worldview based on Summit Ministries' 
uh, 10 facets of a worldview. And uh, we've developed it, and you've been teaching it now for what, seven, eight years? Um, yeah, at least that. I think going on 10, pretty close to 10. Okay, yeah. well, time flies. It does. <laughs> but you, so you've been teaching it to uh, homeschooled kids. In fact, uh, we, I should say. Predominantly, yes. Yeah, we, we mm-hmm. do, yeah, you hold uh, homeschooled classes in our home for. I do, yeah. And uh, I, I know this because I'm there when <laughs> I see that <laughs> happening. And uh, you teach worldview there in the house, but you also teach to uh, any place that's going to give you an audience and a yes. venue. If, I, if someone has an audience and a venue for me, I will be there. And um, yeah, I, I charge for some of my classes, but if they want me to teach worldview or apologetics out in the community, I do that just because God's called me to do that. So that's on a donation basis only situation. So, so basically provide the venue Right. Provide an audience. And I will be there teaching. And yeah. you'll teach. Absolutely. And you've, you've developed several different ways to deliver this material. Uh, in, the, in the homeschool, it's, a, it's an entire, the entire fall semester is nothing but the biblical worldview. Correct. Yes. I, I kind of uh, teach what worldview is while teaching the Christian worldview so that the um, students are learning both how to... Uh, break a worldview down and what what the char- characteristics are, what the different facets are, and uh, and how to notice those, how to how to start pulling those out of of various different things that they see around them, and then also applying that then um, to the Christian worldview, so that they're learning that right alongside of worldview itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of when I first became a believer. Um, my my spiritual mentor at the time said that um, how do you you, you we want to study the Bible? Don't get into studying the cults. Don't get into studying everything. Just study the Bible. You've got to understand the word. Yeah. He, and he, the analogy he used was how they teach uh, people who work in the mint the, right. to recognize uh, counterfeit money is they don't give them counterfeit money. Mm-hmm. They just give them actual money so they know what it feels like. Right. And then they slip a, a phony in once in a while, and then they can uh, that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're teaching these kids in the first semester, this is what a worldview is. They're steeped in a biblical worldview after the first semester. Then in the second semester, mm-hmm. you do what I call comparative worldview. Right, yes. And tell us about that. So in comparative worldview, um, I do basically an hour to two hours on various different worldviews, everything from Islam to um, to secular humanism and communism new age, postmodernism, and then I even go into various cults and whatnot to um, kind to sh- kind of show them what what those systems believe, what the um, what the philosophies are, what all of those facets of the worldview are in each of those. And then as it's called comparative, I'm comparing it then to the biblical worldview that they learned in that first semester. So as we go through it, we talk about here's what they believe. Here's kind of the extension of that. So if you believe this, then that leads to these other kinds of beliefs and these other kinds of behaviors. And so this is what we see in society. And so that application of how our beliefs, our ideas have consequences and what those consequences are and how that extends out into uh, the culture. So you, you teach this mainly to high school kids and junior high school kids during during the school year. But right. like, like we said, you also do it out in the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody will give you a venue. Yeah, uh, and I no longer require parents to attend, uh, but 
they often do and still um as as you put it they still give me feedback that they're probably getting more out of it than their students are which is great because then they'll continue to teach that in their homes to their students so their students will eventually get it better as well so i think that's a a great um uh, side effect of having required the the parents originally to do that it's it's actually been more uh, beneficial to the students in the long run now you've been teaching this now also to adults yes. out in the in the public if you, as you like you say, if somebody gives you a venue mm-hmm. and an audience then you show up and you've been teaching this over at Capital Church uh, recently uh, obviously you're not doing it in a full semester for the you're, you're doing a very condensed version yeah. and you've adapted several different ways to deliver this material I've seen you teach this in three-hour blocks, you know, three hours at a time, different different facets. I've seen you, you're now teaching it in two-hour blocks. Uh, you have, what, a six-session class that you're doing in two-hour blocks. Yes, currently that's what I'm teaching at Capitol. I, I have um, six, six different worldviews, the Christian worldview, the Islamic worldview, the uh, secular humanist worldview, the Marxist-Leninist worldview, the what I call a cosmic humanist worldview. Uh, I got that out of Summit, um, which is New Age, and then the postmodern worldview. Those are the six that I'm covering in this particular course. That's what we had time for and um, and the venue allowed for. And we have uh, two-hour blocks. So I'm um, condensing and or expanding, depending on how you look at it, um, what I teach in either a three-hour block or a one-hour block into the two-hour. So I'm kind of um, one of those people who, I, I like like to have a recipe, but I never follow it. So I do that with my curriculum as well. So I've kind of developed this <laughs> curriculum over the over the years, and uh, I still can't even follow my own. So <laughs> that's that's how this works out. Well, as an educator, I relate. You, you you review your material before you deliver it, and you make adaptations as you go. But you know what's interesting? Um, somebody came up to me after your last class. You taught on um, well, it was, no, a couple of weeks ago actually, where you were talking on secular humanism. Mm. And this individual who had attended your class came up to me uh, the following week and had said, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that we are so surrounded by secular humanism. She goes, because she was an atheist up until about four or five years ago. And she recently came to Christ and she's she's wanting to learn and she came and she, I I didn't realize I was a secular humanist and and didn't, I believed all these things and, and she was spot on and I'm seeing it everywhere around us now. It's very powerful that way. Right. Yeah. Well, most people don't analyze what they what they believe. We just believe it. And so we don't we don't think through uh, logically why we believe what we believe, much like we were talking about with the speech and debate club earlier, is that we we realize that you can argue it, but you don't know why. Then it doesn't really matter. You can give you 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 could give someone any set of arguments and they can probably argue them sufficiently. But if you don't know why, then you can flip-flop, you can switch, and you can throw in a little extra on the side and not even realize you're doing it. Uh, so my main goal in teaching worldview is to is to teach people to to constantly be aware of what they're, as I call it, accidentally believing. And so uh, that's that's exactly what I'm hoping people get out of my classes is when they leave, I want them to go, oh, I'm seeing it everywhere now. Exactly. Because it's been there all along. You just didn't know what it looked like. So you couldn't identify it. And so um, I, I personally, I have no vested interest in someone's belief system. Whatever they want to believe when they leave my classes is up to them. I, I firm believer in free will and personal sovereignty. Um, and so 
Uh, that's up to the individual. But I do want them to believe it because they've chosen to believe it, not because they accidentally uh, got convinced of something without exercising their own free will. I want them to know why they believe what they believe and why they continue to accumulate various different beliefs as they go through their lives. I think that's vital, uh, especially for, for teens, um, but adults too, but it, to know not just what you believe, but why you believe it. And Absolutely. I think that's a big problem in our churches today. It is. is. We raise our kids to tell them, we tell them what to believe, but we really don't educate them in why they need to believe right. what they believe. Well, and I, I think I think we make the mistake of thinking that we can isolate them from society, that we can isolate them and keep them safe from other belief systems. And that's a huge mistake because you can't. I, we live in the world. We're not to be of the world, but we're, we have to be in it. And so rather than isolating them, um, inoculate them. Tell, tell them why they believe what they believe and then ask probing questions as they encounter other belief systems, as they encounter things that you might want to isolate them from. Don't isolate them. We'll allow them to encounter them and then ask probing questions. Why was that bad? Why is that something that we don't want to include in our worldview? Um, and that gets them to be safe no matter what they encounter because mm -hmm. you can't always keep them in bubble wrap. You have to, you have to have them encounter the world. Um, so, uh, whether whether it's you know before they're eighteen or after they're going to encounter it. So uh, while you have them, um, teach them sure. to uh, we, think and, through and the why problem. they believe what they believe. That's the problem is is we um, and that's why we incorporated it into the world speech and debate classes because you you train kids how to do speech and how to analyze an argument and argue for a pos position, and then they go off to college if they don't understand why they believe the biblical worldview. Then they encounter a very convincing professor who says, oh, uh, the Bible is false and, and here's something better to believe. And if they don't know why they believe the Christianity, then they, it's easy to get sucked up. And that's why so many kids get lost after they move out of the house. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially as you're encountering those things that you got bubble wrapped uh, to prevent you from, from encountering, right? So you go off to college and not only are you encountering new ideas that you've never considered before, because all you were ever taught was this Bible you know, centered uh, education, not why, but just here's what we believe. And so now you're encountering new ideas and, um, and they don't align with what you've uh, been taught before. And you're encountering things in the world that you were protected from before, right? So you're likely to sin. You're likely to fall into some kind of behavior that you weren't allowed to, uh, to, eat, to even see or be exposed to. And so now, it's almost like a good excuse is now you have these other philosophies that you can adopt and uh, condone your own sinful behavior so that you don't um, you don't have to feel guilty um, or, or, or face, you know, face the consequences of the of the worldview that you had before. I believe it was you that told me that you had uh, attended a workshop or a seminar and, and the guy said uh, talking to kids who had left the faith. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why'd you do it? And he said, nobody told me that sin was fun. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, was that Griffith Vertican, I think. That's the <laughs> one who said that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, they, they, they've, been, they've been told how bad the world is and how bad these kinds of behaviors are, but they, they don't understand they're bad because, not because they aren't enjoyable, not because they aren't tempting, uh, but because they are. Um, and they are enjoyable, they are tempting, and so they can lead to really bad consequences if you don't think through why uh, they're bad. 
So you go over the, the you, you foundation, the first class was the, the, the biblical worldview. And then, you, then you did um, Islam because it's very similar. It's similar in that they are both monotheistic uh, religions. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that is a problem that people say, oh, it's, we all worship the same God. Mm. But in <laughs> fact, we don't because no. you really do a very good job of delineating between the Islam definition of God and the biblical definition of God. Right. Yeah, so so I break the worldview into 10 facets, which I got from Summit Ministries. That is uh, what they do. They, they have their worldview puzzle. Um, I, I revamped it because, of course, I can't stick with anything. So I've got a new kind of puzzle that I put together using the same 10 facets. So I just rearranged them. They are kind of the central facets of every worldview. So every worldview is basically broken down into theology, which is what uh, What do you believe about God? Is there a God? And if so, what's he like? And that's the key to what you're talking about, the difference between Christianity and, and Islam. They're both monotheisms. So they both answer the question, the original question, the same way. Is there a God? Yes. And what's he like? They even answer that similarly from the start, which is they are monotheistic. They believe there is one and only one God. And then they diverge. And that's critical is what is that God like then after they diverge? So the God of Christianity is a triune God. That's very different from the unitary God of Islam. And that that makes a huge difference because now the Trinitary God, so he's one, but he's three persons within that one Godhead. That makes him relational by nature. He cannot not be relational. And he doesn't need anyone to fulfill that relationship need or you know, not need, but the relationship uh, characteristic of his. And so so he's self-sufficient in that. Uh, so so if the God of Islam is relational as a unitary God, he now needs someone to relate to to fulfill that quality within himself. And so he would create us as a needy God, which is the basis of codependency, right? Mm. So so we've already got a problem there. Uh, if he's not relational, then that's less problematic. He doesn't have that codependency problem. But now you've got a different problem because now he doesn't care, right? There's no relationship built within him. Um, he he If he chooses to act relationally, it's a choice of his, and he can choose just as easily to not act relationally toward you. And so that's the difference then. That's a fundamental difference. It's only one of the fundamental differences, but one of the fundamental differences between Islam and Christianity. And you ask that question uh, every time you start a new worldview. Mm -hmm. That's always the very first question you examine. Yes. Tell us why that's important. Uh, what you believe about God is going to influence every other aspect of your life. If you believe that he exists, then you automatically already assume certain things about your philosophy, about your psychology, about biology, about politics, about law. All of those things are influenced by what you believe about God. So if you believe there is a God, then that's sort of foundational for all those things. If he's the one who created everything, then we should always go back to him to discover what that means. You know, what what kind of meaning did he imbue those those characteristics with when he created the universe? If, on the other hand, there is no God, like an atheistic worldview. Which would be um, secular humanism. Secular humanism, Marxism, uh, postmodernism, all of those are, are atheistic 
Um, And so if you start from that position, then you believe there is no God at all. Then now that what that says is that it's a purely naturalistic, that's your philosophy is a naturalism. And that is going to impact a lot of um, a lot of the rest of it, biology and all that kind of things. Because now what you're saying is everything is mechanistic. It's a mechanistic world where certain elements bump into other elements and create, um, you know, whatever effect comes next. And so that's a very different kind of understanding. I mean, it's fundamentally different in that one is imbued with meaning. The other one is purely chance in a lot of ways. It's just it's just random uh, throws of the dice over and over and over throughout history. And so that changes the way that we see everything uh, based on what we believe about God. So you've got coming up um, this coming Tuesday is uh, your final class Um, which is postmodern worldview. Correct. Um, Would you mind going over? We got a few minutes left here. Would you mind kind of giving us a taste of what that might look like if someone wanted to come? Sure. Um, So I break the uh, worldviews down into the facets. So I would cover the different facets of postmodernism, starting with the view of God. And so, as I said, postmodernism is one of the atheistic worldviews. Uh, It's what I call a soft atheism, though. So um, unlike in Marxism, where we see a very militant view of um, anti-theology, in postmodernism, it's more um, uh, soft around the edges. Like, if you want to believe what you believe in your theology, feel free, that's fine. And, And so... The main the main characteristic of postmodernism is that is that whatever you want to believe is fine. There there is a, a deep understanding in postmodernism that there is no true truth. There is no real reality. Everything is merely constructs, various different constructs that we build up about and we imbue the world with meaning. So rather than in a theistic view where God imbues his his universe with reality. In postmodernism, we basically supplant God in that we are the ones who imbue our universe with meaning. And we hear that a lot from a lot of famous big names, movie stars, you know, your truth. Yes, absolutely. We hear that phrase a lot. Yep. You know, that's, that's your truth. Absolutely. You're, you do you, your truth, all of those kinds of idioms that we hear in our, our, our culture currently are direct results of the postmodern worldview kind of taking hold in our culture. Which is antithetical to a biblical worldview. It's it, Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Which is the biblical worldview is the worldview upon which our country was founded. Yep. Yep. So really, if we're trying to keep our society, mm-hmm. we really need people to understand these things. Right. Because otherwise, like you said, just by default, you just let another worldview kind of happen and fall into our laps right it's, it's really behind what john adams was talking about when he when he said that this the this constitution that they were creating was for a christian and uh was it, what was it, a religious and moral people uh is how he put it he, he wasn't you know it wasn't bigotry what he was saying is this form of government stems directly from the christian worldview and so if you are not going to hold to the christian worldview this form of government will be unsuitable for you it will not suit the people that would hold a different view than that. Mm-hmm. So continuing on with um, the postmodern worldview. Sure. So the first thing you always start with is theology. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it informs everybody else. Right. And I know that's also one and your on your puzzle. That's also one of the cornerstones. You, that's how you rearrange the map was you Correct. put the most important facets in the corners. 
Yes. And it always starts with who is God. Right. What's the next, uh, another important corner? So the next important corner is philosophy, which answers the question, what is the nature of reality, basically? So um, obviously this stems a lot from what you believe about theology. If you believe there's a God, then probably that is a more spiritual form of reality that you believe God comes from. And so now you have kind of a dualistic nature to the universe. There's there's physical reality that we live in, and then there's a spiritual reality from whence God, you know, springs or whatever. And so um, not necessarily we can we can deny the physical reality too. That's another option. But for the most part, philosophy just tells us that we either believe that the here and now, what we can see, hear, feel, touch, taste, smell, uh, the, that world is real. That's that's the naturalist view. And then you can have a non-naturalist view where you believe this world that you can see, hear, taste, touch, smell, feel um, isn't real, actually, and that the only reality is that which is spiritual and that this is really um Kind of like I always compare it to uh, the Matrix, right? So Keanu Reeves. So this is um, uh, where you where you have this projection of reality that we think is real and we're living it, but in reality, it's all all just in our head. And that's kind of the idea behind uh, a non naturalist worldview. And that would be the the two main philosophies. And then, of course, um, the Christian worldview is a combination of the two. What's called supernaturalism, where we believe in both, but one is superior to the other. We've got about a minute left. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other facets in this puzzle? We've got just about a minute. So um, in addition to those two, we also have uh, biology, the nature of of, uh, life, where it came from, Uh, psychology, the nature of man, what we're like, Um, ethics, what's right and wrong and how do we know, Uh, and then sociology, uh, the uh, social structures and the hierarchy of those, Uh, law, uh, politics, economics, and history. Awesome. And you're teaching this class, the final class of this particular series is going to be at Capitol Church this coming Tuesday evening, uh, 6 p.m. in the prayer room, which I think is door number two. Uh, So if people want to come check out your class, and of course, you will teach this class, like you said, to anybody, uh, anywhere, as long as they provide you a venue and an audience, which is awesome. Geraldine, I thank you for coming into the studio and, and sharing this with us. It's been my pleasure. And um, if you want to find out more, just check it out uh, over at Capital Church Tuesday night. This is Daniel Bobinski with the voice of conservative values. Thank you, Geraldine, for joining us. Catch us next week at the same time here on KBXL. Until next time, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to the voice of conservative values. If you'd like to support this broadcast and Conservatives Of in the Treasure Valley, you can do so at conservativesof.com. Freedom can only be maintained by a prayerful, informed, vigilant, and engaged citizenry.